Heritage. Our Heritage. A program about who we are, where we come from, and our aspirations. Hello and welcome to Our Heritage, a program that talks about who we are, where we come from, and our destiny as Africans. We are coming to you from Channel Africa, from Johannesburg, South Africa. You're with me, Sydney Katungapiri. Now, with the uh, Sahelan Kingdom, you find that there was Ghana, there was Mali, and then there was Songhai. Yeah, those uh, things that uh, got in the wrong order. In the program this week, we continue looking at African kingdoms look at the geographic composition and whether or not their existence was synonymous to civilization. Stay tuned as we introduce one of the unsung Pan-Africanists and historian in his own right, Juan Isaac Homo. He begins by looking at how kingdoms cannot be separated from a concept of civilization. Basically, when you talk about African kingdoms, uh, let us first not talk of kingdoms to say let's talk about civilization. And uh, not, not, not talk about African civilization, but the world civilization. Now, you find that uh, in the world there were certain spots where civilization came up. When they talk of civilization, that was basically urbanization and an ordered, orderly social lifestyle with the with impeding things like governance, governor, govern, governments, laws, rules, and an orderly society as we know it today. Only that it was so-called primordial. Now, the first thing that you've got to realize is this, that almost all ancient civilizations began on river days, along rivers. It can be argued that rivers form part of the civilization as people flocked for the fertility of the soils along its banks. Como looks at the ancient civilizations. You've got the Nile River, which actually formed the ancient Egyptian civilization. And then got the Euphrates, Tigris, which formed the ancient Babylonian civilization. Then you've got the Indus Valley, which actually formed the very uh, much not known or an unknown, not much known civilization, the Harappan civilization. Yeah? Now, with the Harappan civilization that was formed around the Indus Valley. And then you've got the Chinese civilization of the Yangtze Kiang. So these are basically the civilizations that people look at as the world civilization. Now, they go back quite a few number of years. They go back some to five, six, seven, even 8,000. But then when you come to Africa, we'll look at the Egyptian civilization and also form the very big empire. The Egyptian civilization, they say that it has got its origins 
on the Nile River it was uh, formed by 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 sedentary people. But then you find that the Egyptian civilization it has actually had a very big influence of a people who came from the Libyan desert. Now the Libyan desert in those days, about seven to eight thousand years ago, it was lush, it was savanna land, and there were many wetlands, and the people there used to grow crops and also rear animals. But when the Sahara started uh, informing, or when the global climatic change took place and the Sahara appeared, a lot of people moved away from what is today the Sahara Desert and the Libyan Desert to better watered areas. Uh, these are the Nile Valley and also coming south. So you find that there is a very big connection between the early, the early, uh, I don't think they even say that these are Stone Age civilized uh, people, uh, settlements of the, of the Nile Valley with the people from the Libyan Desert. You are listening to Our Heritage, coming to you from Channel Africa, the African perspective from Johannesburg, South Africa. In the program this week, we continue looking at kingdoms of Africa, look at their geographical composition, and whether or not their existence was synonymous to civilization. We heard from Isaac Homo, one of the unsung Pan-Africanists and, and historian of our time, highlighting how kingdoms cannot be separated from a concept of civilization. The geographical location of a kingdom, as Homo earlier said, had a lot to do with this formation. The Sahel, which is the ecoclimatic and biogeographic realm of transition in Africa between the Sahara to the north and the Sudanic savanna to the south, is an example of that. Homo weighs in on how Sahel became the bedrock of kingdoms in Africa. Now, with the uh, Sahelan kingdoms, you find that there was Ghana, there was Mali, and then there was Songhai. Yeah, those uh, kingdoms that got in the wrong order, but with Songhai. And those areas, they gave rise to a very important center, which is Timbuktu. Timbuktu became a center of learning. But initially, Timbuktu, it started off as a center of, uh, as a trading center, whereby whereby the Malian Empire, which was created in 1232, when it was trading with the, with, with, with the Maghreb, which is the northern area, they actually used to, Timbuktu became a very important trading center or within the route. Now, that in itself, you find that when you talk of the Mali, Songhai, or Ghana Kingdom, they're based on the same area. We can take them as the Sahelan Kingdom. And at the height of the Sahelan Kingdom, it controlled areas from Mauritania, from the Atlantic coast, right into Niger, into the western areas towards Chad. And also coming south, you are going towards uh, places like Burkina Faso, the northern Burkina Faso. Those were the biggest extent of some of these kingdoms. I think it was under the, uh, under the Mali kingdom, which when the kingdom became that big also under the Songhai. 
but that area again it produced other kingdoms, lesser kingdoms, but there's still things to talk about, like the Mosi Kingdom, a kingdom of the Mosi speaking people, which covered areas like Burkina Faso. So basically, instead of talking about kingdoms which came up, we can literally talk about the areas which produced these kingdoms. The areas which produced these kingdoms is the Sahel. We've got the Sahelan kingdom as depicted by the three kingdoms that I talked about and the three cities. Yes, when you talk of the Central African Kingdom, before you come to the Central Africa, Central Africa, we can actually uh, a bit leave it alone. Let's talk about... Um, West African kingdoms. Correct. With the West African kingdoms, basically the kingdom that comes to mind as far as I'm concerned, and it's not talked about, is the kingdom of Borneo. The kingdom of Borneo was born in, was based around Maiduguri, where we have got our Boko Haram. Basically the Boko Haram, what it, it actually in a way it manifests, it manifests of a people who want to recreate the greatness of the Borneo kingdom. The Bonu Kingdom it controlled the whole of, uh, of, 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 of of almost the whole of Chad, and it did so for a long time, right up to the Egyptian border, sorry, right up to the Libyan border. That is a thing that people do not know. That kingdom it was there even over time when the French colonialism was actually coming in. They came face to face and they met and they had to subdue the. The center of the Borneo Kingdom in, 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 in Chad. Now that kingdom, it was there in also in, 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 uh, in, in, uh, other like Chad area and some areas of, uh, of, 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 of Sudan. But again, that is, that, that, right, that was a West African kingdom and it was a military kingdom. But then when you come again to the, uh, West African kingdoms, We'll talk of the West African kingdoms of the forest area. We will talk about Benin. Uh, the kingdom of Benin was big. The kingdom of Benin, it was a military kingdom. And uh, it traded in gold. And unfortunately, another very big trading item, it was the trade in slaves. Yeah. And uh, that's why you find the Benin king having this very uh, famous army of women, yeah, the Amazons. Yeah, uh, the Benin Kingdom was very well known, but the Benin Kingdom again, it was next to the Yoruba Kingdoms. And the Yoruba Kingdoms, uh, although people could not talk about the kingdoms directly, but when it comes to the cultural elements, which shows of a, shows a very highly developed people, yeah, with the carvings and ironwork that was there. People should understand one thing. Is this that, uh, the Iron Age, Africa in its development, in its civilization, it never went through the Copper Age or the Brass Age. Africa went directly into the Iron Age. And the use of iron in the world, the oldest use of iron is actually found in Africa. The Africa started manufacturing iron and steel before the Europeans. That is a given fact. And you find it in the 
in the sculptures, yeah, of uh, not even sculptures, in the masks which are produced by the Yoruba people, yeah, that they used to actually cast masks of figures and of statues from iron. Now that is the thing that uh, people have got to realize about the great Yoruba people and Yoruba kingdoms. These were basically city-states, but they were highly developed. Another very big kingdom, which was also based in West Africa, it is the Ashanti kingdom. Ashanti kingdom is the kingdom of the Akan people. It's remnants of that kingdom is still there today. The Akan were great uh, traders in gold. In fact, they produced gold, and gold amongst them was a common item. Uh, not common to the local people, but a common amongst the nobility. There was a lot of... Uh, that's why we find that the Ghana area was called the Gold Coast, because a lot of gold was exported from this area to Europe. In fact, even the Guinea coast, the other coast next to the Ghana coast, it was also a gold producing, to the point that when the British produced their uh, coin, a gold coin, which was worth 21 shillings, it was called a guinea. It was called a guinea because the gold came from the Guinea coast. So you find that uh, those kingdoms, they were great, although not much has been written about them. When you come again to the Central African kingdoms, you can go to Central Africa, to the forest areas. There is a kingdom that's not much known about. It's not talked much about. That's the kingdom of uh, Congo. The Congo kingdom, uh, it was known around 1500, 1400, the time of the coming of the Portuguese. The Portuguese got there. They found the Congo kingdom and the Congo king, and they found very, very sophisticated cities. Yeah, and the king was known to have been to have converted into Christianity. So these are African kingdoms which were found in Central Africa, which, however, they've been overtaken and overshadowed by a very, very sad um, history of slavery, European domination, and not only European domination, but also their destruction. But then when we come to Southern Africa, we can come to the kingdoms of Monomutapa, yeah, the kingdoms of the Rosui people. And Monomutapa was about uh, 1300. But Monomutapa was overshadowed by an older uh, civilization or a city-state of uh, Mapungubwe, which was about 1000 or something. But Mapungubwe was also overshadowed by another older uh, civilization, that of uh, Skroda, which was dated about uh, AD 900, which is just not far from Monomutapa. These were great kingdoms, and these kingdoms were based around the Rosi people. Now, the Rosi people are the people who produced the Shona kings and the Shona uh, aristocracy, which actually rule a big part of what is today Zimbabwe, right into parts of uh, Botswana, right into parts of South Africa. Uh, people like the people like the Ramaphosa's people, people like um, the Venda, they could be the extreme southern end of the Rosy people, and the language is similar to that. But these people were living at the same time with other city-states, or you could call them 
civilization, I wouldn't say that they were kingdoms, because these were city-states. But these city-states on their own, they had their sultans who were kings. Now you find that the city-states of Kilwa. Kilwa traded directly with Monomutapa. Uh, the Kilwa traders, they came all the way to Monomutapa to collect gold. When the Portuguese first came on the East African coast in 13... Oh, sorry, 14... Of the 90s, I suppose, when they first came there, when, when, when Vasco da Gama came there, they actually captured a sloop, that's a small British boat, which was full, which was full of gold, and that gold it came from Monomotapa. Now, unfortunately, the Portuguese they wanted to dominate all this trading city state from Kilwa. In fact, they came from south in, 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 in Mozambique all the way to Pate, that's northern Kenya, all the way to Mogadishu. By the way, Mogadishu was the town of black uh, Jarir, what they call Jarir, African uh, sultans. They were not Somalis, they were African. And the people there, they are Barawas. And until today, there is the Barawa language of Mogadishu. And the Barawa language of Mogadishu is a dialect of Swahili. Although now these people have been overtaken by the ethnic pastoral Somalis to show that Mogadishu is a, past, is a Somali, pastoral Somali town. Basically, Mogadishu at the time of Ibn Battuta, when Ibn Battuta got there, the rulers of that place were African Somalia. Same with Kismayu. Kismayu, it's a Swahili name, Kisimaju, the, which means the well above. And the people of Kismayu, they are Bajunis. And these people, the Bajuni, it's a Swahili dialect. Swahili and, and Barawa, Swahili and Bajuni is the same language. But now you have these kingdoms which can only be discovered by the archaeological works. Now that is uh, in a start in a, in brief. It is the it is the picture of African kingdoms as they were. The Zulu kingdom is a Zulu kingdom. Oh, there's not the Zulu kingdom. The Zulu rule uh, and the shortly Zulu kingdom. It's a it's a recent event. Chaka, in fact, not even Chaka. His father, Senzaga Kwan, he was the man who created that Zulu kingdom out of the small tribe. And uh, they came around in about 1790s, and uh, the action of the Zulus went on up to about seven. Uh, sorry, yeah, up to about 1820s to 1830s, and they created the so-called Zulu Kingdom. But the Zulu Kingdom, there's a lot which has been said about the Zulu Kingdom than what was really there, because today they claim that the Zulu Kingdom, they control areas which they never controlled. The Zulu kingdom was actually existing together with the other kingdom of the Ndandwes. That's the kingdom of uh, Uzuide. Zuide was a king just like Chaka, or Zuide was a king just like Chaka's father, uh, Zenzegakona. Chaka basically was a general of Zenzegakona. Zenzegakona basically, if you get to really stories, will tell you they're the people, he was the person who actually formed the Zulu nation, per se. But Zuide was actually a contemporary of um, of Chaka. And Zuide, he actually controlled a lot of land. And most of the land which has been claimed by the Zulus today were not part of Chaka's kingdom. 
and Zwide was actually uh, contemporary of uh, another very big king of Sobuza the first. In Zwide married Sobuza's uh, daughter. Yeah, one of his wives was Sobuza's daughter. So you find that these are kingdoms, very recent kingdoms, and then there were other kings, Matiwane. King Matiwane controlled the heirs of Ladysmith writing to the Maluti, the big mountains. Yeah, these people never, never, ever part of Chaka's kingdom. But today you find that lands which belong to Matiwane have been claimed by the Zulus. And then you've got other kingdoms of the Hubi people. Yeah, there's a Hubi king who was there, and there were three kings, and then there were Sutu kings in Natal. Mulisa, you've got your kings, the Sutus of the Batroqua, and there were kings, and then there were also other kings of Musconiera. Uh, son of um, Mantatisa. These were kings and queens of their own right. And then, of course, there was Mushuashua. Now, I call them these are recent issues because basically, when you talk of the wars which were fought and the kingdoms, and it's only now that they're trying to reestablish themselves, but they cannot reestablish themselves in the way or try to claim the glory which, was, which can be claimed by kingdoms such as Monomutapa or kingdoms of uh, the Ashantis, or kingdoms of Mali, or kingdom of Axioms, which were international and they controlled land which was huge, and they lived for, they existed for ages, over 300, 400, 500 years. Yeah, so that's why I would not like to include these kingdoms. Like, another thing that people mistake, the, the Ngonis, of uh, Malawi, the Ngonis of Zambia, the Ngonis of Tanzania, uh, those of Mpenzain. These were not Ngonis who came from the Shaka Zulus. These were people who came from Zwide and uh, Sobuza's people. These were not Zulus per se. These were Swazis and also Ndandwes. And the Ndandwes came to establish another empire in Mozambique, uh, that of uh, Soshangan. That's why they call them Shanganis. Soshanganis established an empire within the within the Tonga people. Yeah, and his grandson, yeah, he had a grandson who was very famous who fought the Portuguese. But these are very recent occurrences whereby we can trace them amongst our genealogies and our stories in the families. And the stories are very well known. Kingdoms can divide them into two eras. We'll take the era of uh, the Egyptian, the old uh, ancient eras. Now, those are many kingdoms of the Babylonians, of the Harappan, and also of the Egyptian, and the uh, Tutankhamun, and the lot. Now, that we put that aside, and let's look at civilization, I mean, uh, king empires and kingdoms which are post-B.C., uh, uh, after Christ. Not B.C., sorry, A.D., Anno Domini, after Christ. Now, when you look at those African kingdoms, we find that at the time uh, of the year zero, in the first millennium, A.D., the African kingdoms which were there, there were kingdoms which were there in North Africa. This is the pre-Islamic and pre-Christian era. Now, these kingdoms in uh, 
in northern uh, uh, Sudan and southern Egypt, it was the Kush, Kingdom of Kush. The Kingdom of Kush was very famous. It actually controlled the Nile Valley. It actually, at one time, the Kush uh, Kingdom actually did control Egypt. But the Kush Kingdom was there. It prospered. And at the time when uh, Christianity came to being, it was a Christian kingdom. It was a Christian kingdom. It was known for the export of gold to Egypt. And the Kush kingdom was in touch with uh, what they call the Greco-Roman Egypt, which was being ruled by the Romans. But before that, it was had uh, Greek sovereignty. That's up to the coming of Alexander the Great. Uh, the Alexander the Great, they gave a lot of... Uh, a Greek uh, influence to Egypt. And then comes the Roman, and the Roman ruled it. So they call it the Greco, uh, the Greco-Roman Egypt. Now the Kush kingdom was in touch with those people. In the era of Christianity, when the Byzantines, these are the Western Roman Empire from Constantinople, when they actually took over from the, the took over the Eastern Roman uh, Empire, which stretched from Syria, right into Egypt, uh, the Kushites were in touch with the Byzantines, who were Christians, and the Kushites became a very big Christian kingdom, which lasted for quite some time, until it actually fell um, after AD 600 to 700, I think about 800, when it was attacked and taken over, run over by the Islamic forces from Egypt, and it became Islamized. But again, the other Christian kingdoms in Sudan, which went as far south as uh, South Sudan, which are not talked about, but now they're being actually revived through archaeology, where they find that there were Christian churches. Yeah, these are further south to Khartoum. Yeah, in fact, they say there were two other kingdoms, but there are not much is known about them. Now, another kingdom which was there, uh, which became Christianized, uh, later came Christianized, but is very famous, it was... The kingdom of Axiom. Axiom is a kingdom or its area which is in eastern, the highlands of Ethiopia. That thing covered the highlands of Ethiopia, the lowlands of Ethiopia going towards the east. It covered uh, what is today Eritrea, and it actually covered other places, places like Djibouti, places like Somaliland. But then this kingdom actually went across, and it was there in southern Saudi Arabia. And today's Yemen, it came up to the borders and into uh, Oman. That was the extent of the kingdom of Axum. You've got the Nile River, which actually formed the ancient Egyptian civilization. And then got the Euphrates, Tigris, which formed the ancient Babylonian civilization. Then you've got the Indus Valley, which actually formed the very uh, much not known, or an unknown, not much known civilization, the Harappan civilization. Yeah? Now, with the Harappan civilization that was formed around the Indus Valley, and then you've got the Chinese civilization of the Yangtze Kien. So these are basically the civilizations that people look at as the world civilization. Now they go back quite a few number of years. They go back some to five, six, seven, even eight thousand. 
But then when you come to Africa, we'll look at the Egyptian civilization and also formed a very big empire. The Egyptian civilization, they say that it has got its origins on the Nile River. It was uh, formed by, by, by sedentary people. But then you find that the Egyptian civilization, it has actually had a very big influence of a people who came from the Libyan desert. Now, the Libyan desert in those days, about seven to 8,000 years ago, it was lush, it was savanna land. And there were many wetlands, and the people there used to grow crops and also rear animals. But when the Sahara uh, started informing, or when the global climatic change took place and the Sahara appeared, a lot of people moved away from what is today the Sahara Desert and the Libyan Desert to better watered areas. Uh, these are the Nile Valley and also coming south. So you find that there is a very big connection between the early, the early, uh, I don't think they even say that these are Stone Age civilized uh, people, uh, settlements of the, of the Nile Valley with the people from the Libyan Desert. People say that the even greater things which came from the southern forest states, uh, things like uh, leatherwork. There's a lot of leatherwork they say which people term to be Algerian or to be Moroccan. But basically, it has been seen that these leatherworks and leather items they actually originated from the forest areas or the Sahel areas of Africa and they were taken up there as trade items. Now, those things were started by the Suninke people and the Suninke kings, and it lasted for quite a long time. And when the Arabs came, they found the Suninkes there, uh, and they traded with them. But um, unfortunately, this kingdom, like all kingdoms, it waned, and after waning, it was actually overtaken. The Salinka kingdom was overtaken by another kingdom, uh, the kingdom of, uh, of, of, of Mali. Now, the kingdom of Mali, it came out in the same area. Uh, well, it came up and it actually came to dominate the same area which dominated the, uh, the, which was dominated by the kingdom of Ghana. Uh, the major issue about that kingdom was the, was the region Niger. Now, when you come and talk about the river Niger and that area of Africa, we should actually go back again to civil, talk of civilization. You find that in that area, that's the area where sorghum was actually domesticated. And that is in about five, six, seven thousand BC. Sorghum, which became a very important crop of uh, the dry areas of Africa, actually moved, was domesticated in Africa and it moved out into Asia, to a point that at about 2000 BC, it had already reached uh, Korea. Uh, that sorghum, it actually originates from Africa. Another important crop, which was domesticated by those people there, of the river Niger, it was cotton. Cotton has been depicted as being a crop which was domesticated by Indians, and India has been the land of cotton. But basically, cotton is an African crop, and the weaving of cotton cloth is African. 
It is not Indian. It moved out of Africa around the same people of the Niger, Sahel area, into Asia and into India. So now these are issues of the civilization and achievements of not of the empires or the kingdoms, but of the people of that area. They were very ancient. And again, in that area, going back to the Libyan time, when there was, uh, the Libyan desert, when the Libyan desert was still savanna grassland, that's where the domestication of cattle. There is a cattle which was domesticated in Africa, which is an African cattle, which is known as Bos Taurus. Bos Taurus is an African cattle. It was domesticated there. It moved all the way to the Ethiopia, right into East Africa. It got into East Africa about 2000, sorry, 5000 BC along the Lake Rudolph, the East African uh, Lake Rudolph and the Eastern Rift Valley. Eventually, that cattle, it got into South Africa, into Southern Africa, especially South Africa, around 200 AD. Mounted, the earliest, mounted mm, in Homo. Well, Ghana is important in the history of Africa because it was a military state, basically. It was a military feudal state. And in fact, people look at it as a medieval, this is a medieval African, uh, African state. Now, they're important because what you see in that time was this, that there was trade. Trade was taking place. And all these kingdoms that I'm talking about, the seat of their power, it was in controlling the trade routes. It is sorry, axiom. It controlled the trade routes between India and uh, the Roman Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire, the old Rome, and also the Eastern Roman Empire. Yeah. In fact, it controlled that thing in India, and then, as I said, it controlled the trade routes with the, the silk trade. The silk trade, the silk route, it actually moved south and it came into the Indian Ocean. The Indian Ocean, they call it the Indian Ocean, and some say it's an Arab Ocean. But the truth about the matter, the first navigators of the Indian Ocean, it was not the Arabs, it was not the Indians, it was not the Sabians, as people try to say, it was not the Phoenicians, it was the Exumites. They are people who sailed along the Indian Ocean. So you find that all these kingdoms, the thing which is central to them is trade. And in the olden days, the trade was, um, it was very simple. One of the biggest trade items, or item of trade, which was all over the world, it was salt. Salt has been taken for granted, but it's not available in anywhere at any time. So you find that the trade, people who control the source of salt or the trade of salt, they were, actually became very wealthy. Uh, Malawi is a very wonderful country, but Malawi is a country that lacks salt. And until today, one of the biggest imports of Malawi is still salt. And that was a very big trade in those days. And also in uh, the Sahel, going up north, the trades of uh, the, this empire, they controlled that trade in salt. And there we have it, listener. You've heard that kingdoms of Africa have intertwined histories. It is believed that the kingdoms of Africa was an extension.